Hey, what's going on? Welcome to this episode of the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Antonio Domino from Domino Rizzi Lawyers. Welcome to the show. And before we start, I want to mention this episode is brought to you by They Record. Welcome to the show. Hey, John. Good to be here. Absolute pleasure. Like, why don't we start off the episode with a little bit of a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got here. Yeah, sure. So I guess I'll start with uh, who I am and what I do. Um, I'm a real estate and business lawyer. So I basically serve two types of clients. One is anyone who's who has or is looking to buy real estate of any type. And the second is anyone who has or is looking to start a business. And my particular focus is real estate investors. Gotcha. And we all know that uh, I love real estate, right? in the real estate business. And uh, anybody who knows me knows I started Papaloni Capital and uh, we focus on real estate investing, whether it's mortgages, private equity, or actual buy and sell, which I believe you uh, get involved in that uh, private equity uh, loans in terms of the law side. Yeah, I mean, so I do everything under the sun from your mom and pop purchase of a bungalow to, you know, more sophisticated uh, joint ventures and real estate syndications involving, you know, a lot of parties and a lot of complexity and legal structure and quite a lot of money. So, um, but knowing the basics to knowing the, you know, the more advanced always comes in handy in my practice. And it also comes in handy when I myself am in, I'm investing. So if I'm doing, you know, if I, I'm a private loan, I'm doing a private loan for say, you know, myself, I'm lending money on a piece of property. Um, or if I'm just, you know, signing a lease for one of, you know, one of my properties, basically anything under the sun. So there's just tremendous synergy that I get from, you know, real estate. Makes sense. Now, why did you choose not only just to become a lawyer, right? Because anybody, you can become a criminal lawyer, yeah. you can become a, you know, a marital or whatever. You chose real estate. Why real estate? Yeah. So it's um, it's funny when you know I when I was young, it was either be a lawyer or be a salesman, and probably the salesman would have paid a little better. But um, I guess I do sales in what I do now. So um, you know, when I was young, I always wanted to. I always thought that. I was going to do something entrepreneurial. Um, and so, you know, law, I felt gave me that, you know, that edge. I, you know, didn't come from a family of a lot of means. You know, my p parents were pretty uh, humble, humble folk. And, uh, you know, I did pretty well in school. So I thought, hey, you know, let, let's go to law school. It'll give me a good advantage. And uh, yeah, so went to law school. Um, believe it or not, when I started, I wanted to be like a criminal lawyer, like you see in those movies with like yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird and stuff where the, where the lawyers out there like yelling and convincing, not yelling, but convincing a jury, you know, being all charismatic. And, um, you know, when I got into law school and I saw, you know, criminal law wasn't it's not as it's not really like the movies right um it can be very you know sometimes you could be arguing over something for an hour and it's like watching paint dry so um and to be honest i didn't really want to deal in the whole criminal world as much like whether it was defense or prosecuting criminals um but i was interested in you know the business courses the real estate courses and and uh yeah so that's sort of how i got into you know, doing real estate law. 
Yeah, it makes sense. It's a great story, right? I, I yeah. get that part, right? I mean, like, uh, it's like you said, when you're watching TV, <laughs> it kind of looks intriguing, but then yeah. when you see the real world of it, it's kind of not really what you expect all yeah. the time. And speaking about, you know, the world not being what you expect, I think that um, I have a nice little story that really changed my whole outlook on life. And that was probably, you know, in my undergrad. So to be a lawyer, you got to do your four years undergrad, and then you do your three years law school. And in my last, I remember my last year, I had finished my last exam of undergrad. And I was just sitting in a library, and I just had happened to get this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. And, you know, as many of your viewers probably know, it's uh, almost cliche now, but it's it's just it just changed my whole outlook on school on you know the world on how money works um it was a very simple book like i think an eighth grader could read it but um that just changed my view so i went into law school thinking like okay i don't want to go the traditional route i don't want to just be another cog in a machine um you know work in a big firm and just kind of climb through the ranks and like i wanted to do my own thing not that there's anything wrong with working at a firm or anything i mean i know a lot of very 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 smart lawyers who work at the larger firms but it just wasn't for me yeah that makes sense i get that and you know even when i got into the business of real estate i had the opportunity to join a team yeah and there's a lot of great teams where i am but yeah. it was one of those things that it's like i've traditionally always like to do things my way in my own way and yeah and i thought i would clash so same kind of scenario i wanted to build my own thing so yeah love it right and it's all about finding out who you are and if, as long as you're self-aware yeah that uh it, that's key in life right yeah like, and just making mistakes right i mean i bet you know a lot of uh your clients can attest to this and you can attest to this it's just like the more you got to fail forward you know don't be afraid to fail is kind of my biggest lesson um in my last 10 years because you know school really trains you to not want to fail like if you look over you know if you collaborate with someone that's cheating you know if you make a mistake you're wrong like if you get a bad mark you're dumb and you know i was fortunate that i didn't really get bad marks at school i did very well but you know it, it, i think that part of school can kind of train you just to kind of be a lone wolf and um i think both of us know that you know if you want to achieve a lot of wealth and prosperity that means building strong relationships and um you know getting deals done and that involves people right so yeah exactly almost every successful business is based on people and i like how you said relationships there right i can never stress enough yeah. how important those relationships are right like everyone thinks you're gonna make an instagram post and all of a sudden yeah Back your yeah. bags, we're going to Maui for vacation. Yeah. You know, and again, it's like, it does not work that way. You yeah. have to build those relationships. People want to, you know, deal with people they know, like, and trust. Right. Which brings up to the point is, how did you get your name out there? Yeah, so, I mean, I, right out of law school, I, I worked at a smaller firm up in Richmond Hill, but, you know, it was a really experienced lawyer, did land development, real estate, corporate, you know everything that a business owner or real estate investor slash developer would want to do and so i got tremendous experience in that sort of boutique environment and then you know about a year later i just said you know it's the right time um i don't have a crap ton of experience i don't have 20 years under my belt but that's okay i'll you know do things as i go and i just you know went for it and um i think it's really important you know a lot of my mentees um, I men mentor, you know, university students and all that. And I think I think there's something to be said for the power of a made-up mind. Um, you know, 
the the road is full of uh, squirrels who couldn't make dead squirrels who couldn't make up their mind. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I think making up your mind and not being afraid to fail has been one of the things that I've struggled with when I was younger, and now I'm sort of trying to get over that. But more to your point, yeah. I mean, I just one year out of law school, I started. I you know opened my own shop. I partnered up with. Um, uh, he's my business partner, Daniel Ritzi, and he does more of the, he's a law school good friend of mine, and then he does more of the tech startups and the tech space, and I do more of the, you know, traditional brick and mortar companies, businesses, and real estate, which is my favorite type of investment. I can talk about it all day long, so. And uh, yeah, so from there, it was just talking to people, talking to agents, talking to accountants, putting your name out there, creating value, not asking for anything in return. Um, you know, I even interned with a, with a you know, real estate development company, so I got a tremendous amount of experience there. And just create value, right? Like my rule is give 10, 10 times value to someone before you ask for anything. So if you like, if you say, okay, I meet this person, um, I really want to get to know this person because they can be a valuable part of my network. Um, you know, how can they help me? That's the wrong question. You should, you should say, how can I help them? And let me do it like 10 times in 10 different ways. And then after that, like it's almost impossible for the person to just be like, yeah, well, you know, John, John helped me 10 times, but like, you know, screw him. Like, I don't want to do anything for him, right? Like, it's pretty hard for people to, unless you're real, you know, yeah, you know yeah. what? Like, so that's kind of been my rule rule of thumb, value first and don't, don't ask for anything. Yeah, love that, right? Because how many times have we had our phone ring and we see somebody on there that only calls when they need something. Yeah, there you go. And you go, oh, what does this person want? Yeah. Right? And that's the one thing we don't want to be. Yeah. Right? And, and I agree with that. I love that perspective. And it's like, it's unique because not a lot of people have that, right? Like most times you, you get out there and, and what do we learn? Like what I learned at the brokerage, door knock, tell people, yeah. everybody you know that you're a real estate agent or in your case, it'll be a real estate lawyer. Yeah. Right? And it's like one of those things, okay, great. You're a lawyer. You're an agent. Woohoo! Yeah. What can I do for you? Yeah, exactly. Or, right, and it's, and it's just like uh, you're not going to buy. You, you know. Chances are the guy is in the house that you're door knocking on already has a, uh, an agent he uses. Yeah. Right. So you haven't provided them value. Yeah. Right, and that's the missing component that's not taught. Yeah, right? and, absolutely. And even with the failure thing, right? Like you learned somehow you learned early that failure is part of success. Right? How many times that like, yeah. we all got that same message growing up? You know, go to school, or you're going to become a plumber. Go to school, or you're going to become this, or you're going to do that. Oh, you don't want to fail. Yeah. Right. And we have to consciously take ourselves out of that, right? And realize that's the wrong message. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. So for kudos sure. to you for figuring that out. You know, so soon. For sure. Right? And like, I mean, yeah, I'm still learning. Obviously, you know, when you when you have a I guess when your parents aren't entrepreneurs or just working sort of working class people, I think that um, you know a lot of the working class and the middle class has this mentality of you know go to go to school, get a job. Um, but you know that that might not be the best for you, and a, a lot of the times you know um, it can it can sort of stifle your uh, your creativity, right? So you know that's that's a great point you made, and and also to the point of just getting out there and knocking on doors, you know, like. I know you've you've hustled in your past and that's you know sort of how you got your success but you know in my practice I see I see realtors you know they say a lot a lot of realtors they'll say well like 80% 
don't really make anything, and then the top twenty, the twenty percent make everything, right? Pareto yeah. principle. Well, very simple. Eighty right? percent make zero to one transaction. Yeah. Which, believe it or not, in today, even with today's prices, one transaction does not even pay all your fees. Yeah. Um, so that's eighty percent. So they got to work a part-time job just to pay the rest of the fees. Yeah. Now the twenty percent, I would say fifteen percent are making a living. Like whether they do this job or another job, same thing. And to me, value of a living is 50 grand to 150 grand. If you're making in between that, you're making a living. And now there's the 5% that are making that quarter million plus. Yeah. Right. So, which is very little, and in a way, that like we're the micro um, microeconomics Mm -hmm. of the world. Five percent of the world are making the fortune. Fifteen percent are making a real living. Eighty percent are trying to figure out what they're doing. Yeah, that's right. And. You know, I think that it can be tough for, you know, realtors to sort of, they just start out, they're trying to pay the bills, especially in a city like Toronto or New York or San Francisco, where it's like, so the cost of living is so high. Um, You know, if I could speak, I think when I started, I was, I was probably um, just getting by for the first five months. Like I was just trying, right? Because there's that six month cycle, right? You hustle, you market for six months, but you got to do it steady, right? You can't just, you market for a week and then nothing comes and then you give up, right? So you got to do it six months and not expect anything for six months. And once you do it for six months, then I think you'll start to see, at least I did, start to see the results come out of that. But in that six month period, man, that's like, for any entrepreneur, that's like the valley of death, right? Like yeah. you're, you're doing everything yourself. You don't have enough money to, to pay people. Um, you know, like you got they record here uh, helping you out with, with all your um, tech and, you know, uh, recording software. And that's that's amazing. But, you know, when you're first starting off, you don't got you don't have any of that. You're not you're trying to do the bookkeeping yourself. You're trying marketing sales, do the law, understand the law in your case, like do the selling, understand, yeah. you know, what's going on in the market, what you got to know. And, uh, you know, it can be very tough. And that's the valley of death. And that can be six months. That can be a year. That can be two years. Um, but I think what'll what I've learned is that to shortcut that valley of death, you still got to go through it. But, you know, mentors and people who have done it before can really help you shortcut it. And the biggest, I think, challenge for people like who are doing, who are professionals is the kind of, you know, doctors, lawyers, we kind of, they kind of have a chip out of their, on their shoulder from, from school or like, I'm so smart, I can figure it everything out. But, you know, like you can't, you're not going to know um, how to record this podcast like better than a guy who's been doing it for five years. Like you just, you're just not, right? So um, pay the people to get that done and they're gonna do it better than you. And yeah, you're gonna eat the cost at first, but you know, you're gonna, you're gonna expand your business way quicker, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's Absolutely. one of the mistakes I made early on. I had to kind of do everything because I didn't have the money to pay, you know, um, all these things, website design, I created my own website, you know, took two straight months, right? (laughs) Like it was, it was, it was tough, but, um, you know, if I paid a guy probably three, four grand, he could probably put it up in like a, a day. Yeah. Right. Well, see, we all do that, right? Like in the beginning, because it, like, it feels like that scary behemoth in yeah. front of you, right? And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, okay, that costs a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, I've got X amount in the bank, and it's got to last. Yeah. Right? So then you're going to go go for it little by little by little, and you realize later on, and it's easy to say this after you've made it, Yeah. but it's like, that actually cost me money. Yeah, exactly, because it costs you time, right? If it took you two, uh, two full months to make a website, right? Um, and you could have got that done in a, in a day. 
hey, maybe it's not as good as the website you made because the one you made is with your, you know, your own TLC and your own passion. But, you know, you get a minimal vi viable product up there one day, boom. And then you're marketing for two months. Like maybe yeah. you can get five deals in those two months. Like that's, you know, that's like 50 Look, grand right there. So well, it costs you, you 50 grand to make that website. And, and, right? and that's the point, right? So the, the to save yourself that, we'll even say it's three grand, right? I'm sure there's people out there you can find that are even less than three grand, but sure. just say it is three grand. To save that three grand, even if you got one deal, one real estate deal, that could be an, that could be a commission of nine grand, Yep. right? Yep. So you, you, you save three grand, so you can spend nine grand yeah. and lost opportunity. Right, but and that nine grand, it's not just the money of that nine grand. It's, plus the referrals. You know, it's the referrals, it's a relationship you build, getting that nine grand. You learn about the deal, you learn about real estate, so you're building this, this, uh, you know, this profession, right? I mean, you yeah. know, you build a website in two, two months, but you're a realtor, right? Like, when are you gonna use that again, right? Hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, are you gonna, in, in a year, you're gonna say, well, you know, I'm making a hundred grand being a realtor, to get to two, what's going to be easier to get to two hundred grand doing the same thing, or to start something brand new and start a web design company and do that? This, you know, it doesn't no. make sense, right? You're always growing or dying, right? Yeah. And that's the thing, and everything changes. Now, let's be honest. What do people use websites for these days? Yeah, it's like, okay, I met this person. I want to use him. Is he legit, or is yeah. this one of those, uh, you know, fly by nighters? So yeah. they go to your website to make it, to see what it comes up. Mm -hmm. That's really all it is. Mm -hmm. Nobody went and said, "I'm going to call Antonio." Because I saw his website and it looks so good. Yeah. Nobody's ever done that, right? Yeah. It's really just uh, okay. Who's this guy I'm giving my money to? Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Oh, I see who he is. Oh, I see where he is. Okay, this makes sense. I feel better yeah. now. Yeah. And if you, you know, <laughs> like, like for example, I focus on real estate investors. So if you're, I don't know what you are, let's say you're doing tech, right? You know, you're gonna see my stuff. You're gonna see my articles, and you're gonna see. Well, okay, clearly this guy isn't really focused too much on tech. But oh, I see this guy's business partner over here. He does a ton of tech, and he can he writes articles about it. So okay, right? So it's a good sort of get a litmus test of who who you're dealing with. But other than that, you know, unless you're doing a lot of SEO and it's sort of a lead magnet. Um, yeah, you know. but you know, even SEO, it brings people to the website, but yeah. it doesn't make them choose you. Yeah, it's for gonna sure. It's going to be that that initial contact. Yeah. Do I like uh, you? Yeah. I always I kind of sum it up in three things. Um, you know, you you talked about like know and trust. Um, to me, it's do I like you? Do you care about me? Right? Because I can like you. Right? You're a boisterous guy. You're very charismatic, but you don't really care about me. You know. Like I can tell you don't care about me, right? And the third thing is, does this person aspire to excellence, right? Because I can like you, right? I can see that you care about me, but if this person doesn't really aspire to excellence in what they do, then yeah, I like you, you care about me, but it's sort of like that family member, you know, that uncle, he likes, yeah, yeah. You, you like him and he cares about you, but he's not really doing anything, right? And you know, he maybe does five different, I'm gonna say uncle, uh, cousin, whatever, right? He's done 20 different things and he hasn't really stuck the course and you know, stayed with it and built his craft. Well then, you know, you like him, you, you, you know, he cares about you maybe, but does he aspire to excellence? Is he you know, gonna do what right. it takes to get your deal done or whatever? Well, I don't know, right? And so. that's the thing, right? Like going with that, that's that's where the details come in. Yeah. If they don't aspire to that excellence, they're missing details and that yeah. detail could be pertinent and that could be pertinent and outcome to you. And when things go sour, who does it lay on? 
Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Like, like especially when you're in real estate, though. Oh, sorry, my bad. Really doesn't cut it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, who you deal with is the most fundamental question you have to have in this business. And yeah. clients have to know that when it comes to that, you're that guy. They know you. They like you. And they can definitely trust you because you are trying to be better and better each day. And yeah. you're going to know more. And you're the local expert of that area. And you care so much about your craft that when it doesn't fit your circle you know it doesn't fit it and you're going to know who to go to and send them that way versus trying to be everything for everybody yeah and then end up leaving them high and dry yeah so they know that and that's why they trust you yeah you got it you got it john and you know even in my practice if i always tell my clients you know i i can't promise that i'll know everything under the sun but what i can promise is that if you have a question either i will know it i will work to help figure it out and deliver an excellent service, or if I can't do it or I don't know how, I can definitely put you in touch with someone who can do it at a level of excellence. Because when I refer someone, say, to uh, you know whatever criminal lawyer or litigation lawyer, they get you know they want to sue someone. I know that that re- referral is going to be an extension of me, and if that referral does something bad by my client, then that's going to reflect on me. So that's why, you know, your tri- I call it your tribe, I think is probably the single most important thing. And that's why, you know, they talk about millionaires who go broke and they can like build it all up again. Um, that's part of the reason, right? They don't just start from scratch with no money and no connections. Like they still got the connections. They still got the trust. And, you know, if you have that, um, arguably it's worth even more than just having money in the bank. 1000% there. So moving forward with the real estate portion here, right? Yeah. Like you said, you're uh, into real estate and you get investments as well. Mm. What do you look for in an investment? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times when you're looking at multifamily properties, um, which is kind of what I'm starting to get into, you're looking for situations where, um, you know, you got bad tenants. Um, one of the biggest issues I think I see where there's opportunity is landlords who are trying to do it all themselves, right? The the look at maybe they they got they started off with a duplex or they started off with a couple bungalows and they sort of want to keep it all to themselves, do everything themselves, keep every single penny, and that might be fine when you got a couple properties. Although you know you got ten bungalows, it sort of becomes a job. But when you're looking at multifamily, it's more of a business, right? Like it is a business. You're not just buying a property. So I see a lot of landlords. You know, they're just fed up. They're burnt out, and uh, you know, they're they're there's a lot of repairs that have got have been delayed. There's issues with you know tenants, and it all comes from you know not delegating properly. You know, not treating as a business. You got the people, the cleaners, the this, you got that. You got the people dealing, the bookkeeping, all that property management. Yeah, absolutely. And that, again, that's what I call being small minded. Yeah. Right. A lot of times people think way too small mm-hmm. and they're in for now yeah. and they can't see the future. Yeah. Right. They try something once it works and it's like, ooh, I got some profit. I can just keep repeating this. Yeah. But as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, that mentality no longer works. Yeah. And that's where you have to grow. Right. And, and I, I agree with you. And I think when you collaborate with people a lot more, you can do a lot more, accomplish a lot more, and you can actually grow way bigger than you can ever do it on your own. And I think that's the key thing people have to remember. Never try to do something by yourself because 50% of a billion is still a lot more than 100% of a million. Right. It's like I use this uh, analogy. Would you rather have 
a nice big piece of a watermelon or all or all of a grape you know you can have the whole grape for yourself or you can have you know you're, you're not gonna have the whole watermelon but you can have a nice piece of the watermelon what would you rather have i'd rather have the piece of the watermelon right so yeah exactly um yeah but i think i think that's the mentality a lot of people a lot of people have and it can be tough to to break through that especially when you're coming from a poor uh poor sort of uh background well, well, like i did thing. we're taught to be poor yeah right how is tradition we uh you got the grandparents that were in the uh war torn torn yeah. country that immigrate somewhere and they're like oh gotta work hard so my kid doesn't have to suffer the way yeah. i did exactly now that kid grows up and that uh those grandparents didn't have what the locals had and they had to build up and they had little by little and they made it yeah but it took slow and short and meanwhile the people growing up the kids you know kind of did without in the beginning yeah and then what happens i gotta do better so that my kids don't suffer the way i suffered yeah and that keeps repeating to what we have today's generation where mm -hmm. everything's handed yeah and when it's handed nobody realizes that somebody had to break their back for that exactly and which is why a lot of times when uh, companies are handed over to uh you know you know to the children and or to the grandchildren as time goes by they end up losing the company yeah. it's for that reason because the guy who used to dig in the sh the shovel himself when he yeah. had to yeah wouldn't do it right like i mean he did it but the kids won't do it they're too good for that yeah good and times it, create weak men right and that's my point right it's resilience that brings us past the you know economic turmoil yeah absolutely. which is bringing up the next point mm. i think we're already in that economic turmoil mm. we're just trying to figure out how bad is it mm -hmm. and with that being said there's going to be two types of people out there whoa watch out and hey did you see the opportunity that came out two yep. different people and there's a different way to look at it so my question to you is what is your perspective on what's going on? Where do you foresee the economy going, real estate going, and just overall outcome? And what opportunities do you think this will bring? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, you mentioned there's two people. I sort of see it as three people. There's people that um, watch things happen. There's people that make things happen. And there's people who asked what happened, right? And so, I mean, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but in terms of the commercial real estate market, I think it's in it's in a lot of trouble, uh, especially in the U.S. A lot of these uh, a lot of these loans are coming due, and um, you know, land larger commercial landlords don't have the uh, the the finances to deal with with higher interest rates. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity coming in the uh, multifamily space, especially especially in the U.S. but also in Canada. Um, you know with real estate it can be tricky right because real estate yeah. isn't local it's hyper local and if you look at for example toronto you know a lot of people are saying oh well people aren't going to be a be able to afford um properties and you know that's happening now so my question is what's going to happen when you know people who got mortgages at two percent three percent right five years ago what's going to happen when those terms come due and maybe they were paying three grand a month right and just getting by paying that three grand and now those those interest payments are f six grand seven grand right yeah will the government step in maybe i think it i think it's already kind of we're starting to see some like longer amortizations like they do in the states um obviously the banks will benefit from that a lot 
Um, but you know, that's that's a question. The the, the middle class is shrinking 100%. rapidly in in the West. And if you look at countries, I think like Dubai, countries like Singapore, they're on the up. Right. If you go to Dubai, you know, people always think, well, it's one of those countries in the Middle East. Like, you know, it's going to be dangerous. It's not dangerous. It's the safest city. You know, I've been to it's clean. People are respectful. People are from everywhere, every single corner of the planet. And, you know, there's no homelessness. There's none of that crap. And, you know, it's it's on the way up. The West, I mean, not to be a downer, I think that the West has a lot of a lot of problems. We've been kind of passing the buck, not we, the governments that we elect have been passing the buck, printing tons of money. And, uh, you know, the chickens are going to come home to roost. We're already seeing it with inflation. Um, the CPI, they say it's like 6%. Uh, they say it's 6%. Funny enough, that CPI index doesn't include food, mm-hmm. doesn't include shelter. It doesn't include like basically the things that, you know, cost take up most of our expenses cpi the real inflation is probably around 15 percent um and yeah, that's what yeah. I thought too yeah right so. I, that's exactly what i thought when they were saying six percent seven percent and whatever I, I thought how's that possible yeah i used to go to the grocery store and uh 90 bucks would buy me what i needed yeah. in five days now yeah. that's one bag 90. of groceries is 90 bucks yeah and, and now the same thing is like 156 yeah. bucks do the math on so, that that's not yeah. uh, if you're saying that's six <laughs> percent like no you know, so yeah i mean you know not to get conspiratorial or anything but you know the government i think through either um not maybe malice but incompetence is kind of getting these numbers wrong and you know maybe a lot of them are just trying to deal with what's going on and you know governments are big organizations so they're not perfect here this is my take i don't think that it's uh malicious i think what ends up happening is that they know what the uh outlook is yeah and they're trying to avoid mass panic right so what ended up happening is like prime example the u.s changed the definition of a recession mm-hmm. well how the heck can you change a definition yeah. that's like saying the definition of having hair you know what <laughs> i mean like like, yeah. like it's ridiculous right but they did that because i think what happened is people are starting to see things and they're trying to avoid that panic mm-hmm. and they, and as people are catching on they're panicking so they're trying to calm it down by creating this outline, by yeah. saying it's like if they go around and say inflation's 15% or 18%, people go, holy crap, yeah. what happens? We need to pull back, but I think you gotta pull back slowly. If you pull back like this and the yeah. whole economic sh- you know, activity shuts down completely, that's gonna be even worse. Yeah. So I think they're trying to manage it, but my particular viewpoint is that it's, uh, not really they're not really doing a good job at managing in mm. fact i think uh, maybe a little too little too late yeah like, uh, and now they're trying to be aggressive which is going to make it worse yeah but that being said this is also going to bring up the opportunity right and i think right now more important than ever it, it, it is the opportunity to collaborate and work with people i think syndications are going to be the all-time way to go right now which is why i created papaloni capital yeah for people to have an opportunity to syndicate with me have opportunity to do a joint venture with me opportunity to invest in my business opportunity to grow as we grow united versus trying to do everything by yourself that person who has that three thousand dollar mortgage that you're talking about what are they going to do well if they have a bungalow guess what when they said i'm not 
not having somebody living in my house, I want to bet, and I'll put that on the table today, that they're going to have somebody in that basement. And I'm going to yeah. want to bet they might even have some people upstairs with them. Yeah. Because that'll be what it's taking. Now, collaboration, unitedness, and maybe now's the time. Look, how do immigrants do? They come here. They come here together. It's usually two families. They pile into one house. They split the bills so it's manageable, and then they can get out there and build ahead. As they save because they took the, you know, the slow route, Mm-hmm. Then they end up investing on their own. Now you have two families in two different homes. Yeah, that's funny you should mention families, but because, you know, I have one client, he's uh, he's Indian, young guy, and he makes around 40 grand a year, okay, just starting out, and he has a Ferrari. And I'm like, you don't come from any means. How the hell do you have a Ferrari? He says, well, you know, I got four brothers. I got three cousins. We all sort of, we all live in the same property. We each take a room. You know, sometimes we share we share a room, right? And some of us have wives as well and girlfriends, and they all live with us too, mm-hmm. right? And they kind of they do their thing, we do our thing. And you know, eight, ten, eight to ten guys making forty grand each—that's four hundred grand. Yeah. So we buy a Ferrari, and we can you know we can each take turns using the Ferrari. Now, I'm not suggesting that you live with ten people. Um, that to me is a little extreme. But hey, you know, like who's going to have the edge here? That guy in 10 years or the or the guy or gal who just wants to sort of, you know, lead the whole, you know, modern life, kind of live downtown, go to restaurants every night, you know, live by themselves, have total freedom. You know, maybe they were they were from a family where they got everything handed to them and they don't realize, but the, these guys are, you know, 10 guys living in the house. They can they can buy a you can buy a freaking house every two years. Who's going to get ahead, right? So, right. It's a and that's what I mean. Building wealth is boring. True wealth is boring. It's consistency. It's consistency in investments, and it's long term and boring. It's it's you know like it's one of those things you have to put. You have to be committed. That's what it comes down to. You have to commit to this. Yep. And you have to decide that's a priority. And what are you willing to sacrifice for that longevity? Too many people want what I call the Instagram, instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Where they do something, now I put in my 100 bucks, and if I put in 100 bucks, I better be getting two, $3,000 from that 100 bucks. Yeah, over what period of time? Oh, over the next three months. Or they're gonna say, oh, whatever time it takes. And you know, within three weeks, they're calling, hey, is it there yet? Right, because that's just the way people are. They're not. They're not patient. Mm-hmm. But true wealth is built over time with consistent movements, and and it's usually the boring stuff that works, such as rental properties. Yeah, that's freaking boring, <laughs> right? Like, let's be honest. You buy a house, you have two floors. You rent upstairs. You rent downstairs. You collect your rent. My, uh, rent comes in. Yeah, not rocket science, right? Roof leaks. You call the roofer. You got a leak in the basement. You call the plumber and the renovator. Mm-hmm. You keep putting money in. You keep yeah. paying down that mortgage. That's funny because right? some like, of my boring. <laughs> yeah, some of my most successful clients are doing that. Just doing the boring day in, whether it's real estate or just businesses that people don't really think about, like plumbing businesses. Yeah. Who who would think like you'd be a multimillionaire with plumbing businesses, right? But you'd be surprised, right? Know a guy homes. who took 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 his company from one truck to fourteen trucks See? inside two years. Right, so yeah. So when your parents tell you go to school because you don't want to be a plumber, you say, "Hell yeah, I do." Yeah. <laughs> right, because there's opportunity there. Yeah. You gotta see it. That's what it comes down to. It's not gonna hit you across the head. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of the what. See, I think I feel that the boomer generation, you know, they're not being malicious. They're just what what worked for them in their time was, you know, save 
get a home, you know, maybe get a cottage, your your wife stays home, say raises the kids, um, and you know, your factory job. I mean, my grandparents, that that's what it was, right? My yeah. grandpa worked, grandma stayed home, raised three kids. He afforded a house, you know, cottage, truck, you know, factory worker. But that 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 formula just doesn't work anymore. Right, like the middle class is just getting obliterated, and um, you know, there's there's a stat I believe it's in 1955 somewhere around there. Um, if you were a burger flipper flipping burgers at McDonald's, you made the equivalent of a hundred grand today. So you had the buying power of a hundred grand today. Now think of that for a minute, right? If properties have gone up. 20, 25 times, and your salary has gone up, maybe has doubled from 1955 to today. Maybe it's tripled or quadrupled still, right? Right? Like just that the the, the chasm is opening. It's getting yeah. wider and wider yeah. and wider. And I feel that in the next 20 years, if you're not doing something entrepreneurial, like you said, you got a house, you rent out the basement, you know, that's going to become sort of the mainstay, I feel, especially in places that are hard to live in, like Toronto, right, where there's all these government regulations that have caused the prices of housing to be so inflated. Um, and that's not going to change. I think housing is just going to keep no, going through the roof for the next five years. But It's a lack of supply. Here, here's what it comes down to. When you let in a million people into a country, and you can only build 40,000 homes. Yep. Even a million people, and just say there's four people per family on average, that is still going to be uh, at least 200, and I think it's 250,000 uh, people. You need mm -hmm. 250,000 homes to home them, uh, to house them, yep. and there's only uh, 44,000 being built. Where would you have them go? Mm -hmm. Plus, what about all the actual citizens you have that are leaving mommy and daddy's basement and finally right. ready to take the reins on their own where would you like them to go that'll add the pressure too there's yeah. only so much room yeah. and there's only so much you can build and obviously that wasn't really properly planned yeah now i personally find that toronto and when i say toronto GTA. let's just say ontario sure has way too many rules and regulations to be able to increase that capacity and i don't think they have enough skilled labor to be mm -hmm. able to do it even if they remove some of the red tape mm -hmm. and also again real estate where are you going to go we're so uh, already dense that there's nowhere to go unless you open up the green belt you open up the green belt and you got people saying oh the environment mm -hmm. and i'm not agreeing disagreeing with that i mean i kind of like the green belt being there i'm going to be honest yeah that's my opinion i like it there yeah but the point i'm getting at you open it up and now that creates more land but then it takes away some of the agriculture we need. For sure. So there's always a consequence to everything. So what's left? Going up. Hence the whole condo thing. But how many people want to live a con in a condo for the rest of their life? I understand when you're starting out in life, you got to start somewhere, you start off in a condo. When you get too old to do stairs, you go into a condo. I get that. There is a place for them. I'm not saying there isn't. But sometimes people won't expand. They start having families. They start having two, three kids. You want them running in the park. You want them running in your backyard. You want a dog in the backyard. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, the economy. One of the big things is just um, remote work, right? Yeah. If I can work from three hours north of Toronto and say Beaverton or like, I don't know if that's north, but Beaverton or some somewhere, you know, remote and 
you know, I don't really have to be in the city, but I can make the city salaries. What's going to happen? All these peripheral areas are going to start jumping. And you've seen that happen, right? Three, three, four hours north of Toronto, right? Like uh, Port Elgin, these these places where you never even thought about, they're just going through the roof, right? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people thought that with the interest rate hikes, the massive interest rate hikes that we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, um, properties would go down. But they've sort of, they've kind of, they plateaued a bit and now, now they're starting to keep going right. up. Like like they've gone up, exp- like not exponentially, right. but a great deal from pre-COVID to post-COVID. And, and so like that, that high interest rate isn't really... It's you not. Know, there's only two things that's going to change in the GTA. You yeah. know, there's other parts might be different. One, one, one increased supply. When there's more supply than demand, mm. prices will come down. Yep. Two, unemployment, where people don't have jobs and they can't make their payments, they're going to be forced to sell. Those are going to be the two main factors, and I believe we're going to see one of them soon. We're already starting to see it, layoffs. Yeah. And I believe that's going to increase. So that will help that way. But again, more people than you can squeeze. So it gets it releases some of the demand, but not all of the demand. With that being said, though, there's still opportunities out there. And there's still a lot of fear with investors. A lot of like from my experience, you know, being in the business I'm in, what I'm seeing is a lot of a lot of um, investors are starting to uh unload their investment properties mm-hmm. now some of them are unloading it and trying to cash out some of them are looking at uh, buying properties on the other side of the border um, for different opportunities i believe i got my opinion on that but what are your thoughts like and what would your advice to be for investors yeah no i think i think that the the u.s particular like the u.s is a constellation of very different states right so the i think particularly landlord-friendly, business-friendly states like Texas, Georgia, Arizona, and Florida are very, very good. Um, you can, you know, you can buy properties with great cap rates. I have some investors that don't even like bother with Canada anymore. They're like, I'm done with Canada. You know, I can't find, the numbers just don't work in Canada anymore. And they'll say that flat out. I don't know if I agree with that 100%. I think there's always opportunities, but, you know, I'm seeing, you know, development company i work for i i uh i don't work for them i i've helped them in the past you know they got maybe one project in in ottawa that works and then they have you know a host of great like opportunities going on in the south from from utah to you know to florida so it's just i think that there's a ton of opportunity to be had down there the only i guess resistance you're going to find is are you willing to put in the work to one make the connections down there because you got out you always got to have boots on the ground so we're talking people to property manage good property managers um the accountants and lawyers that can deal with the cross-border uh stuff that happens and you know once you've once you've established that i think that the world can really be an oyster i agree with you on that and um my opinion is yeah you're right a lot of people are leaving because it's not landlord friendly as i was saying before we started recording mm-hmm. we have the landlord and tenant board and I think we need to make it the tenant board, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, and I think that's, um, so I don't think everybody's leaving just because of that. I think a lot of people are selling because it goes back to what we we're saying. If you were collecting $2,000 rent and your mortgage was $1,800, the number was working. 
I mean, that's yep. a crappy number, but I'm just giving you an example. Now, what happens is now your mortgage goes up to 3000 and the rent is only 2500 Now you're losing $500 a mm-hmm. month. And I know people see appreciation, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but can't and, count on that, right? And at the same time, as even if you can, just pretend you could. Just say you know it's going to appreciate. But you're losing $500 a month, which is adding pressure to your own personal finance. Now yep. you're going to end up carrying two homes instead of one. Mm-hmm. What happens on mortgage renewal when you got approved on the cash flow and now you're renewing out of cash yeah. loss. So that's the big question. I, I you know, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but um, that's what I think. Are there going to be a lot of homes being dumped in Canada? That's what I'm. I think there already are. I, I again, it's not all doom and gloom. Some people will prosper. People out there that have availability, you know, what I mean, and I'm able to carry this stuff and is able yeah. to invest in it long term. Some of them will be able to pick up these things as deals and be able to hold on long term. Some people will lose it by force. Some people will lose it by choice. Mm-hmm. So I think there'll be a mixture. What well, goes back to what we said at the beginning of this is that we're going to see a bundle of opportunity here and not just in this country, just in general for for investing. And you just got to be aware of it when it's there and you have to be yeah. prepared. And again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. If you're willing to collaborate with people, you can grow a lot faster than trying to do it on your own. So in light of time, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions and then Sounds we're going to get into what I call the lightning round. All right. So second last question is, how do you know you've had a successful day? Well, that's, that's good. Um, I think that a successful day is just, am I better than the person I was yesterday? That's You should com- be comparing yourself to who you were the day before. And if you you, you put your head on the pillow and you said, you know, I checked off with, with all of my uh, energy, most if not all of the things I set out to do today, and I did at least one thing that improves me, that in 20 years, my 20, you know, I'm, you know, whatever. So when I'm 50, my 50-year-old self will thank me for that instead of cussing me out for what I did. Um, I think that that's success. Fantastic. Love that answer. And I agree with you on that. I, too many times people are out there trying to compete with uh, their competitor and uh, they're all worried about what other people are going to think. And reality is they're not thinking about you. Only you are thinking about you. <laughs> right. So if you, uh, you, you are your own competition. So love that. Uh, last but not least before the lightning round is where do people find you? Yeah. So you can find me at www.com drlawyers.ca that's my website and uh, you know you can always give me a call if you ever have legal questions or just you know you know need some consultation from a real estate investor standpoint or you got a business going on you know I, I I always get back to my clients so or leads or anybody who's interested in getting help from me and I don't I'm not one of those lawyers that's gonna you know charge you for every minute on the on the phone call so charge you for you know talking about the weather so um yeah i'm all about long-term relationships so that's where you can find me fantastic now to get into the lightning round it's going to be question number one is what is your favorite food oh favorite food hmm i would say uh venison interesting yeah that's the first time i've had that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's uh high quality uh, grass-fed meat it's very lean and it's uh, very nutrient rich i think that um, our sort of society has moved away from our ancestors and what's made us strong and healthy and uh, so that's that's why i gave you that answer love it uh favorite travel spot and why oh wow um 
So I have a few, but I think so far it's been the uh, Sierra. It's been the Sierra Nevada mountain range out in California. I did a six-week hike there when when I was younger, and uh, Yosemite. Um, uh, you know the the uh, redwoods. It's just a beautiful spot. Don't agree with their uh, politics and government too much, mm. but um, not going to get in. Not going to go there, but it's a beautiful part of the world. So, yeah, for sure. Favorite book or podcast? Oh wow. Um, book, I'd say. You know, um, Think and Grow Rich obviously is Love a staple. Napoleon Hill. Um, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad, also another one. And um, I'm trying to think of, I guess a novel or a fiction would have, would be uh, the Iliad, which is about you know the whole. Uh, Greek and Roman epics of uh, and, and you know a lot a lot of good values to be to be had from there. So got it, got it. That's awesome. Last but not least is if you had a limited amount of money and you were given forty eight hours to spend it, what you spend you get to keep, what you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? But I only have two days. Two days. Forty eight hours. Forty eight hours to do whatever it is you want to do. What you spend you get to keep. Wow, that's a tough question, man. Um, <laughs> can I invest it in skills? But I guess skills will take longer to. Well, you do I instantly the get them, or? Well, just assume that you can invest in it, and then whatever time it takes to get it, get. Like, okay, and it's a hundred grand. Sure. For free. Sure. Just free hundred grand. Whatever I'd probably, you want. I'd probably sit down. I'd probably invest in skills. Sit down with someone who's like top of their top of their game, and probably just buy buy that um if i was not thinking for the long term and i just like i had to spend it and i couldn't really learn anything in two days um i'd say i'd spend it on an experience probably just get all my friends and do do something really wild go for an amazing hiking trip uh out somewhere remote or do something crazy like that because uh, at the end of the day experiences are what you're going to remember not the things absolutely love that and the reason i ask it that way is kind of a trick question yeah but it's a, a good question, question man <laughs> uh, because if i say if you had a million dollars what would you do hmm. usually people say oh, i'll buy a ferrari yeah uh, i'll buy a pay off my mortgage or uh, whatever right and it's usually not what people want like hmm. it's i mean everybody wants to pay off the mortgage because nobody likes bills but it's not their deep desire yeah. right so it, but they feel they have to say something and it's a limited amount of money mm -hmm. right so where if you say it the way i did there is no limitation. You can do whatever you want. So you get what people truly desire yeah. because they're not thinking about limitations. Yeah. No, it's a, that's a good way to think. I think you should revisit that every year in the beginning of the year and just be like, okay, what do I really want from life? And am I am, is what I'm doing taking me there? Absolutely agree with you on that one. Antonio, yeah. it has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for making it out here today. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. It is the John Papaloni Show. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you saw, subscribe to the link below.